There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track Podcast. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all doing very well today. So today, today's guest, let me tell you, is Adam Fieset. Now, Adam, uh, he's uh, shot to, to, to indie stardom as the, uh, as the drummer of uh, Baby Shambles. And around that time, I met Adam and uh, we was doing uh, some club nights together and stuff. And he's a, an absolutely lovely fella. And you're going to find out all about his life and find out just what a, a gem he is as this podcast um, starts and unfolds. So before we get on with it, a big thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Also, if you like this podcast and you want to hear more of it, there's a Patreon page each week. I'll put up a unique episode over there as well. And I play the songs over there as well because uh, unfortunately due to licensing restrictions, uh, we can't do that on this podcast. But as I'm sure I'll let you know in the duration of this uh, pod chat, there is an accompanying uh, Spotify playlist where you can listen to all the tracks that uh, Adam chooses. Also, if you're really thirsty for some uh, podcasts, then have you checked out Pod Bible? Pod Bible is a new magazine from me, Scroobius Pip, and my name is Ad. And not only is it a print magazine and a digital magazine, it's also now a podcast. It's a weekly podcast hosted by uh, me, Adam, and Scroob, and it features all your favourite podcasters. So, I mean, some of the guests that have featured already, no such thing as a fish, Kate Thornton, Drunk Women Solving Crime, Jamie East, all the big hitters, and there's plenty more to come. Uh, and so it's a tiny little show. It's only about 25 minutes, and it's just all your favorite podcasters talking about their podcast and talking about the podcast that they listen to. So if you want to get some recommendations, go and check out the new Pod Bible podcast sponsored by Audible. But the job at hand today is talking to Adam Fireset about the songs that have soundtracked his life. And it's a great chat, and I can't wait to get on with it. So I'll shut up and uh, I'll wait for Mr. 76, my lovely producer, to drop the jingle. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year, and they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together 
based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track podcast. I am in the WeWork building in Devonshire Square and sitting opposite me is, uh, is my old mate, Adam Fyset. You're Hello, right? Stu. I'm good. I'm good. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been, yeah, was it two, three, four years? No, leave it at you, you. I came to your place. You did. You you came to the Civic Hall for the Hardcore Listing live show. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you had to shoot off. Your little boy was yeah, ill. Yeah, he was ill. Yeah. Yeah. He was vomiting everywhere, as they do, these little boys. Yeah. So a lot's changed since uh, we've, we've last sort of talk to music and stuff like that you've you've obviously got a new career which we will get yeah on yeah. as this unfolds but i like to start this this podcast um by asking what is the song with the greatest ever intro um can you remember what you yeah, sent no, me I over i can't remember that i'm trying <laughs> to remember what would i give you when you sent me that right okay when you sent me that i'm thinking do you mean intro in terms of a specific intro for the music and i was thinking about some kind of spoken word stuff and i thought do you mean intro in terms of like a hook um so either yeah, so uh, this tune here, I remember trying to, obviously knowing knowing the sample, everyone knows the sample from, I guess it's the whole Chad Jackson. Chad Jackson, thing. yeah. And hearing that growing up of that era, and then hearing the original in a club, is it around here, Spitalfield actually, uh, a club called, what was it called? It's called Happiness Stands, um, just up the road from Turnmills. And it was a free floor club, one was Northern Soul and Modstaff, one was Funk and one was Drum and Bass. Um, and I heard this tune, I'm thinking, wow, that's where it's from. And during that late 90s time, I was doing a lot of DJing, so I would go and hunt all the original samples. So I was turned on to all this stuff through, I guess, when people were sampling, probably early 90s mm. or so, and then found this tune. And then it's just when the beat kicks in, and obviously it was produced by James Brown as well. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, it was all part of his kind of JB's label. So, right. yeah, that's why I chose this. Whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh, it's just got that great feel to it and that great rhythm and that really underproduced sound. Um, so it really gives me a shiver. I've got to be honest with you, Ed. I've never heard it. Oh, today. really? No. <laughs> like, obviously, I knew the sample yeah, from yeah. Yeah, The Drummer Get Wicked. Uh, and 
when you sent it over, I don't think I've heard this. And then when I put it on straight away, that sample kicks. Yeah, of course. And then when the drums kick yeah, as well, yeah. it's like, whoa, this is this is incredible. Yeah, yeah, so it yeah. got put straight into my little jazz funk yeah. uh, playlist on Spotify. So um, I should say as well, if you haven't heard it, then there is a Spotify playlist accompanying this podcast. So just go over there and and search for uh, for Adam and, and Off The Beaten Track and you'll be able to listen to all the songs that we're talking about today. Um, so, all right. So talking about intros... And if I can sort of ask you about writing when you wrote with uh, with Baby Shambles and when you've done your solo stuff, yeah, how important and how much emphasis did you put on the intro? Um, it depends on the song. I think generally, for me, if it's an intro where the song needs a slow kind of opening up to maybe some more, I guess, of a sensitive song more so. Or, or generally my thing is is to get the rhythm going. So something really impactful rhythmically. So I guess both of those two sides to it, either some real slow sensitivity to bring you up to the song or some real, something massively rhythmic. Because what the, the, the time scale of, 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 of Baby Shambles uh, and, and obviously the, the sort of stuff he was doing uh, alongside that and afterwards was was probably around the time when it was the big explosion of maybe Spotify uh, yeah, yeah. and 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 um, Shazam and things like that, where all of a sudden the kind of the way that people listen to music changed yeah, like, yeah. in regards to albums not being listened to as a body of work. It was like, mm. oh, what's this? And Instantaneous. And, it, and instantaneous, yeah. yeah and so yeah. D- d- that that's the thing that I generally like to ask guests because I'm always interested to see if it – does affect their songwriting that they they're aware now mm. that you know people's attention spans are constantly being offered that little stream down the side of the screen like you might like this and it's that constant distraction trying to draw you away from what you're actually listening to it's like do you know what i'm talking about on, do, on like youtube yeah, yeah. and spotify there's yeah. like you know related artists yeah, and yeah and i just find that as as someone that's got a thirst for music yeah, that yeah. i'm constantly sort of looking to say oh what's that i wonder, yeah. I wonder what that is and it's yeah. like well hang on just remember the days when I would just have that one record I could afford and I yeah. would listen to it as yeah, it was meant yeah. to be heard as a yeah. body of work. So that, that that's kind of yeah. and roundabouts why I've kind of really drawn this question out. But that's it's just how you... Yeah, so just as you say that, because it makes me remember, um, I guess when I first started buying music properly, we'll get to that later of why I bought it so late, but Stone Roses album, and I remember Adored, the very first track, and that takes a while to get going. Mm. You get all these kind of soundscapes, and that's what I mean about an intro to a track. Also, I always remember one, I had three tapes, right? I had um, Stone Roses, I had um, Inspiral Carpets Life, and Charlatan's first album. And the one that would always blast my ears was a song on life where it'd really start with this do 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 yeah. go bam in yeah. and it'd destroy my ear. I think to this day my kind of my, my tinnitus <laughs> is by that track. Because you you turn it up thinking, where is yeah. it? Because you think have I rewound it to the right part, right, right kind of part yeah. of the tape and it'd smash in. So those little intros, I always remember the the Stone Roses one. I was just a bit like, come on, I want this to, to get on a good bit. But there was something quite hypnotic about it and I always remember watching the Blackpool live video as well and their intro was the same they would mm. do the intro and I thought what a great way to translate an album onto a, a live stage yeah. um, I remember with Baby Shambles I remember suggesting when we done a big tour about having some intro music to do that to kind of set the scene rather than just kind of come on and mm. fly out so I'm in two minds but I'm also mindful of this very quick culture and getting straight to the point I guess that that Marvel Whitney sample is kind of Suggests how that's straight in. 
Yeah. You know, you, there's there's no ifs or buts. There you are. Yeah, yeah, totally. There are, and it's almost like I guess that's the hook of the song. Yeah. Really, um, without any messing. Track two. Yeah. The first song you remember hearing had an emotional impact. Right. On okay. You. Now, this is an interesting because I thought I could have chose many, and just as you'd asked me that question, Captain Sensible came on. Right. And I thought. I haven't had this for ages and I was really warmed by it and I yeah. thought I remember for this song so I would have been probably like eight or something maybe I can't remember but I remember the warmth of it and the melancholy on it really kind of captured that 80s time of this mm. it was f for me anyway personally you know it's, it's quite a quite a, a cynical time in the world there was a lot there was a lot of concern I think at the time of, of like nuclear war nuclear war if you grew um, up in that era yeah, you know yeah. And yeah. it's weird because uh, as soon as I knew you was going to say, she started smiling because people, you know, aside from the damned, Captain Sensible was almost like a comic book character, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, I think I'm a, might be a couple of years older than you, Adam. I can't remember. Um, but looking at Captain Sensible, and obviously he burst onto the scene with Happy Talk. And yeah, then, yeah. And then yeah. what and, and stuff like that. But this song... I don't see this as a novelty song. I think this is a fucking great record. This, this has depth. This song's rich. <laughs> it's rich. Yeah, the Listen bass line's the amazing. Yeah. For me, and it's such a simple harmonic progression. Yeah. I was thinking of it, going back to it now as a songwriter, thinking there's nothing really there. Yeah. But the, the sentiment, which yeah. is beneath the lyrics and in the music, somehow, I don't really know why, for me, it just really evokes this sense of kind of melancholy, yet... Yeah. Yet warmth, it's like a winter melancholy. It's, yeah. it's, it's very apt for September. For Have we me. announced what the actual track is? Sorry? Did we say what the actual track was? Oh, it's, it's Glad It's All Over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, a real kind of autumnal melancholy. Yeah. And it resonates, you know, it really does. So that's why I chose that. It could have been many, but I think that one just was apt at the time. And that's, that's quite weird because generally when I, I, I ask people to, to pick the first song that, you know, made them, you know, react sort of emotionally in some way or, or you know, it cut, you know it, it cut deep with them, like, and... There was an element to this that was like, for me, it was, it's quite joyous, but there's an element of fear there as well. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. just at that age, it mm. was like, you know, you was exposed to the things like, um, was it where the wind blows yeah, and, oh God, and, yeah, and, and yeah, things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and it was like, it just seemed for real that like this yeah, thing yeah. could happen. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, you, I remember hearing like the sirens at yeah. the beginning of the two tribes and yeah. just thinking, oh my God, like yeah, this yeah. is harrowing. It was like, on TV, all the adverts. Yeah. Four minute warning stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it, and it was, was wasn't it? Was, it? And like, we forget that, mm. but that was that was that was a tough time. Yeah. All the strikes, you know. The, again, the country was divided. Yeah, massive police brutality stuff going on. Minor strike. Uh, yeah, you know, it was it was quite a scary time. Yeah, we forget about that stuff. Yeah, and uh, and and it just, I don't know. There's just something about that that record that I own this on seven inch, and it's it's one of them records that whenever I'm just sort of flicking through my, my vinyl, I just think, oh, I'm gonna stick that on. Uh, and every time here, as soon as that doom, 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 yeah, the bass line's yeah. so good. Yeah. So where was you born, Ed? I was born in Bletchley, Milton Keynes. Really? Yeah. I thought you was born down here. No, no. Oh, okay. So yeah, when did you yeah. when did you relocate down down here? What down to London? Mm. Um, I moved to Essex first, so yeah. I moved to Essex late teens, and then I moved here early twenties. Oh right. Yes. For some reason I thought you was born in Essex. No. no. A lot of family had moved from, I think because of the estate we I lived on, it was a massive relocation from places in East London. So what we had is this mass exodus. Um, I remember seeing some of the flies that my kind of mum and stuff kept her, you know, trying to get people out of the housing to try and relocate them into the new glamorous utopia 
of a city, Milton Keynes. So you had whole communities moving. So when everyone moved, everyone kind of still knew each other. Mm. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up on a, you know, it was a council estate, but it had such a great sense of community there. Um, very London-based. So it almost seemed like this kind of cleaner version of where people could get bigger houses from where they were growing up, wherever it was East London or, yeah. or you know, North London. Oops. Nice vibe. So I'm looking at the, the next question, which is a song that reminds you of, of your time at school. So so that fits quite nicely now. So school was at Milton Keynes, right? Yeah, it was at Milton Keynes, yeah. But before we get on to your song choices, like, it, it, it looks to me that these were from secondary school. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so just going back to junior school and that, did you enjoy it? I did enjoy junior school, yeah. I think having no pressure, yeah. it's amazing. And I think I didn't really do much at school. I think generally just... Jack the lab behaviour, as I call it. Yeah. You know, getting in and out of trouble, just general misdemeanours. The, the best time of school was after school. Yeah. You know, hanging out with mates and stuff. So for me, that was when I used to love it. Even now, kind of being outside, not that I hang around with mates in bus stops and stuff, but, you know, that, that age, it's yeah. great, the social element of it. Yeah. And I think having kids myself now, I think it's such a shame that that isn't quite at the same level. Maybe it's environmental as well, where I live's different. But for me, that was, was so rich to I go out and have a gang of mates to hang with. I don't, I don't think, I, I, you know, I agree. I, and, I, and I don't think I've got, I've got two daughters that are 14 and 16 and, and they don't do what we done, which was, we yeah. called it dossing about. Yeah, doss, yeah. <laughs> hanging around, hanging yeah. around. I, still lo I love hanging around. Yeah. I don't do enough hanging around. <laughs> I love it. Nothing I don't to know do. if people do it anymore. It was a big so, thing, wasn't it? Just hanging out. You'd find a you know a phone box. Yeah. Anything would do. Bus stop. Yeah. Bench. Bench. Swing. Yeah. Just hang around. Phones, mate. They've killed it. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Bring back hanging around. You know, summer holidays. See ya. You're back at dinner. See, it really was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that old men here. Oh back no, in my day. I oh know. But if, do you know what? I I walk my dog over the park uh, every day, and, and and obviously we've had some some really nice weather of recent, and a few times I've been over there, literally seen some jumpers for goalposts, and the kids great. on the summer holidays just yeah, having a brilliant. kick about, and you do think, oh, it's great, you know? They're not just yeah, sitting there yeah, yeah. on their phones. Yeah. Like my, my my daughter's social life is her telephone, yeah, and like it's crazy, yeah, so, yeah. You know, Get out and talk to people. And they're missing so much. Yeah. You know, really, in communication between a phone and another phone, you miss so much. I found out about all the clothes that I should be wearing mm. and all the bands that I should be listening to by dossing around with yeah, my mates. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, yeah, my older brother's got this. All right, what's that? Can you yeah, take yeah. it for me? Yeah, you know? yeah. But, um, so, school. Let's start with junior school then. Um, was you playing no, at that point? No, I didn't do any music stuff, really. Would have been like... Um, early secondary picked up a little small keyboard from somewhere for Christmas present with little lights on it and I learnt a couple of tunes on it from there nothing serious um, and then from there didn't do much until 15, 16 started playing drums and just dossing about on drums I think kind of hanging out in the music finding a drum kit in the music cupboard somewhere setting up and playing it that was it so it was kind of like creativity and, 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 and stuff like music like, encouraged at school no, not not really. It wasn't a pure. It wasn't any any huge impetus put on music in that school. Did you got, choose it as an option? No, I got kicked out of music. I got, <laughs> I got banned. Yeah. Um, Why? I, I'm messing around. I messed around yeah. a lot of school. I was lucky. I kind of ended yeah. up staying. I mean, I is I, your CV just Adam Fireset hanging around, messing around? I messed around <laughs> a lot of school. You know, if, if I think about, it, I didn't achieve really anything. 
academically until I was like 19, really. I, you know, I, I school for me was about a social thing. I was written yeah. off as well at school, I think, which was really hard for me. So uh, on an early, so my brother was very academic, more so than me. And I was just tarnished as that kind of younger ruffian brother that was messing around. So I kind of went with that <laughs> and that was fine for me. Yeah. No expectations. Left school with no qualifications, really. I think maybe got C in geography or something. Um, and then sixth form stuff failed that as well. Um, but I kind of socially had quite a good time. So when did music like happen? Well, I was just knocking about in on drums. Um, and then I think I got bought with like a secondhand drum kit. Joined the band. There was, there was a bit of a band thing. This is around the time of uh, like Rosie's Charlotte and stuff, a bit of a resurgence in bands. And someone else in my estate said, well, you play drums. I went, yeah. So we formed a little band, started doing it from there. Um, and continued doing it that way. Mm. That's how I've done it, from, yeah, just learning on the spot, listening to records and thinking, how are they doing that? No lessons or anything. I mean, I had a couple of lessons subsequently with a drum teacher, but it didn't work out really. I felt quite, it wasn't really what I wanted to learn. So initially, I had a few, then stopped them. Then I think we couldn't afford to pay the bill, so I think we kind of got blacklisted from the lessons. It all got a bit messy. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of jammed along in a garage band. It, yeah. was, it was probably just quite like doing this yeah. so that was that so for track three the songs that remind you of school you've put a couple so uh, you can get some honourable mentions in here as well mate yeah so it was White Shirt wasn't it Charlotte's yes what was the other one Dayla <laughs> sorry Dayla alright oh, yeah, yeah god yeah I know and that that record for me because I just started to buy my own records then because my dad basically owned a company with his own business where he would supply jukeboxes. So he had tons of records everywhere. So Ex-jukebox like, with the yeah, little yeah, middles yeah. missing. So Captain Sensman, all that stuff. I would, on a Saturday, um, you know, it's a very small business that he had, but I would, I was, I think I'd, I was, I'd kind of collect all the records up. It'd be my job to try to uh, compile them all um, and get them ready for the jukeboxes. So I'd play them as well. So I was always enamoured by these, all these little labels and these different colours and, and just what music meant back then. It was like yeah. seven inches. So in that respect, I had all the music. I could kind of probably have whatever music I wanted. Um, and then probably as I started doing my own thing, finding my own music, because that was predominantly pop, yeah, started discovering it would have been the same kind of time as an overlap because I was into bands like Public Enemy initially, which then kind of branched out into the whole De La Soul stuff. On the other side was the start of Baggy and Indie, because where I grew up, there was, there was the Woofton Centre. So they would have a lot of kind of smaller indie indie bands before Baggy came in on their circuit, like shoegaze stuff. So I was into both both types of music at the time. But they look almost crossed over. They did, yeah, like yeah, I yeah, think yeah. just yeah. the laziness of that sort of Daisy Age yeah, sand, yeah. it did sort of yeah, yeah. tie in with the kind yeah. of, the whole stylings of like the Mondays and the Roses yeah, and, yeah. and all the stuff. That was, yeah, yeah, completely. Because most of those Roses and stuff, they were still sampling, mm. look at Fool's Gold, yeah. sample of... Um, I guess that classic, that Jebo Starks and Clyde Stubblefield mm. break and the James Brown stuff. And, and my love of funk has come from that, yeah. listening to all the groove-based baggy stuff. Um, and then what De La Soul album was all about, you know, all the samples that they ripped off. It really, even now I find, ah, oh, there's that track and it was part of that. This album contained a lot of samples. It's so not on me, Spotify anymore. No, of course. It yeah. wasn't ever on there, was because I've always tried to find it. Mm. It's never on there. I'm surprised it's not. It's a shame. But... Um, so you're, so you're right. And at the time, a lot of pop music was using the same samples as well. Um, so I think, yeah, you're right. There was like a cohesion between it. I remember, I remember going and buying that on the same day as I bought the other record I've mentioned. And that'd be good for me. You know, um, Norman Cook stuff, it was Beats International then, wasn't it? 
and also like an Inspiral Carpets remix, 12 inch. Yeah. And they all had very similar samples on yeah. the backbeats. Yeah. So it was great. And yeah. I know being a drummer, I love groove and I love that sense of yeah. rhythm as well, which I still do now a lot. Yeah. You know, a lot of music I really like is groove based stuff. Um, so it was, it was a magical time I felt, you know, when you first discover these, these artists and I loved all the artwork. And I loved all the kind of Daisy Age stuff. So I had, a, I had a foot in both camps. I was indie, yeah, I was, I was hip hop as well. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, mate. And and that Three Feet Iron Rising, that album, yeah, it, yeah. I, I think it's an absolute master. I think it's the greatest hip hop yeah, album. Yeah, I really and, and do. And as an album, the way yeah. it flows. Yeah. You know, when you've got these little kind of interims, LMD, LMD. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, there's so, so many. It's yeah. great, you know. And like, it's all about tread water. That's the best. Yeah, one. yeah, I love yeah, tread yeah, water. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, it's brilliant, brilliant. So, did you have a good sort of bunch of pals that I sort did, of yeah, that, that yeah. got music and got what you was about? Interesting. Not really. I think when I think about music, no one was probably as interested in it as me. A so, where did it come from? Maybe record. My my older brother was very into music. He right. wasn't really into hip hop stuff, but he he kind of turned me on to the classics, probably like Bowie, Stones, Beatles, Doors, Velvet Underground, all the kind of the staple type bands. Yeah. But I think during the sixth form, I kind of took that and then moved into it and met other people, especially the indie stuff. So I think back then the sixth form student thing was about you know it was still about the Smiths and, and all that stuff. You know we had like what else? Curve, the Field Mice. Um, what's the other band uh, I can't remember the name but a f- a Family Cat the Pop Guns all these kind of little shoegazy twee indie things yeah. on t-shirts yeah. on the stuff all these you know the big ones as well Yeah. but on the other side also the, the urban stuff was starting to creep in yeah. which was great so I think mainly getting into it via the buggy stuff then finding my own way in that then trying to unpack and I worked at a record shop as well yeah. I got a job in a record shop so for me it's great suddenly everything becomes open then being exposed to every type of music um, yeah. and being a musician as well yeah so I think the richness of all those experiences just I just found it really I don't know just kind of get quite obsessed with it you know it became very obsessive but I think I've mentioned it many times on this podcast like 1988, 89, 90 was a really fucking exciting time for music yeah, because yeah. so many genres were exploding at that mm. point and sort of like crossing over. It was like, it was an exciting time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, I don't think I could be more happy that that was when I was 16. It yeah, just dropped yeah. at the perfect time yeah. for me and just, you know, open arms to it all. It, yeah. was, it, was, uh, it was a good time. Track four, Adam. The first song that you bought from a record store. And that would have been Silver Bullet. That's right. Right, well, this is the same time. And I remember, I don't even know where I heard it, but there was a very small record shop in Bletchley Town Centre. And I think it was more, I think because this guy had come from Leighton Buzzard, which was quite nearby. So it was more, as you were saying earlier, it was more of like an internal thing. People had it on their tapes. He'd released something called Bring Forth the Guillotine previously mm-hmm. as well. And Robocop was obviously a big hit. So this intro is about the Robocop yeah. 209 saying you've got 20 seconds to comply. Yeah. But it's when it... I was really into a lot of the, the jagged and the anger of Public Enemy as well, as much as I was into, like, I remember Iggy Pop, Search and Destroy, and Public Enemy. Um, what was the big one? I can't remember. There was, there was two tracks that was. So when I was angry, those were my tunes, you know. Um and this had the same vibe to it. When it kicked in the production and the speed, because the BPM's a lot higher mm. than what was kicking off at the time. So it was almost like the dirtier, punkier side 
of what was going on in De La Soul yeah. and Clubland because this was quite an urban track. But I think I come into it via more friends that were yeah. into hip hop and saying, "Have you heard about this local guy that's done this track?" Um, what yeah. a tune! Still holds up. I listened to it last night and I was like, "I know, this is yeah, great. yeah, it's the energy." You know, yeah, can, this is why I understand where a lot of the grime artists and a lot of more more urban artists do appeal to a lot yeah. of people because they're fueled with maybe anger yeah. or some kind of passion and yeah. you think I get it you know when when they're kicking off it's mad and when you said at the beginning of this podcast about intros and you know the spoken word and things like that hip-hop like let's talk about public enemy and rebel without you know the way that starts yeah, just the yeah, vocal yeah. there fight the power yeah silver bullet it's just that them it's little the vocals and like and it is there's so much of it in hip-hop like before the beats even dropped mm. like it's hooked you yeah yeah but, uh can you remember where you bought it? It was a record shop called Criminal Records in Bletchley. Right. Because I was in my break from, I was working in Gateway, cutting up meat on the deli counter. Right. And I was too young to be working there because they didn't have national insurance, but I, I made one up and thought they'll never know because I was skinny and I come from quite, a, I guess, a poor family. So the only way I could get a job was to lie about yeah. my age and kind of got in this place and I was, I'd slice ham. So I was trying to be <laughs> as cool as I could wearing this hat and slicing ham. Yeah. Um, and during the lunch break, went and bought it. But I'd always, it'd be like in those days, spend all of your wages and records yeah. going Records and a night out, that was it. So was the the record shop like, was there a community around that? Not, I mean, not, there probably was, maybe. But for me, it was, my community was more about, I guess I had two types of friends at that time. I had friends that were more into the indie stuff and friends that were more into that stuff. I did feel a bit divided at that time, I kind of felt. And I was also really into house music as well which was more palatable to my friends because they'd want to go out clubbing as we yeah. grew older. They were more into a commercial house. Um, but there wasn't a huge community around that. Not really. Not I, I think where I was growing up in Bletchley, it was quite sterile regarding culture. There wasn't much coming through. Yeah. Um, and I think Milton Keynes, even now, I think it struggles a bit with some of that stuff. Um, I think as it ages, it'll be easier. But no, there wasn't necessarily... I didn't really have a sense of community with a record shop. Okay, so... You mentioned that you spent your money on records and going out, so that kind of uh, leads us on to track five, which is a song that soundtracked your years in Clubland. Right. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. I'd love to say that you're the first person <laughs> to pick this. Right. So many people of have course. picked this. Yeah, yeah. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. It's fucking great, right? I just remember going out and, and the early days of clubbing would have been some kind of under 18s disco stuff. And probably year, we went to secondary school later over there. So we went in the equivalent of year eight. So the first meeting all these new people in secondary school thinking I was really cool, we'd go out to yeah. these places. And just remember hearing that, that. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Just the adrenaline and thinking, yeah. whoa. 
whoa, this is a tune. It was that and, um, you know, I guess Chad Jackson stuff. And um, what was the other big hit? Rob Bass and Easy yeah. Rock, that kind of stuff. Real kind of, yeah. look back now, it is quite commercial. But I thought, you know, when I would hear that vocal line coming from yeah. this track, I'm like, whoa. Even now, yeah. some tracks I can't bear. But this track, I still hear it now, and I'm like, that's a tune. I, ne I never get bored of it. I never get bored of this. It takes me right back to that moment. Yeah, the yeah. same when I hear the opening uh, Rowetta at the beginning of Hallelujah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I hear that, I just think, God, it takes me. And, and I still get it with Fool's Gold. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've heard Fool's Gold a billion times. It's true, yeah, me too, actually. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. just, oh, sonically, it's something about our record yeah, that yeah. doesn't sound like any other Rosie's yeah. track either. Yeah. And it's just, oh, it's wonderful absolutely wonderful so did you enjoy clubbing i mean it, i guess there's two types there's that when we we're going as more underage stuff and then getting older and then getting more seriously into, i used to love it yeah and again i'd be one week i'd be out watching a band and the other week i'd be out kind of clubbing with more i guess my mates were more into dance music stuff house so still stuff. in milton Keynes. yeah yeah but i then start journeying away was they wouldn't they'd kind of go to the places they like to go hmm. um and I guess I would, I'd never go to, they got, as I left to go to kind of college and got more bandy, then they started going to the big names, Gate Crashes, Money Pennies and stuff. But we were quite lucky because in Bletchley, Milton Keynes, we had the Sanctuary mm -hmm. at the time was a massive kind of hardcore place. Um, so we'd go there often and that turned into something cool. What did it turn into? Like Jungle Fever, I think, then took that over. But we were quite lucky for, for Bletchley with us quite a big base yeah. especially before house when it's still quite hardcore mm -hmm. and stuff Helter Skelter were held at the big roller disco there at Rollers um, so we'd kind of go to those places even if we couldn't get in we'd be on the outskirts of it yeah. and people would be selling obviously their big plastic cases with yeah. free tapes on each side Jumping Jack Frost and all these Brilliant. people you know Rat Pack stuff and the flyers on the walls some of my friends were more into it but I was a bit more tepid I was into that stuff and bands as well but it was about the beats then as well you know? yeah. it was much higher tempo but yeah, then it softened out and got more into house stuff. But then I was going more bandy at that time. So what kind of brought you down to London? Um, I came, I moved to Essex to do, to study music, do a BTEC, um, and then come to university in London to do a degree in jazz. Um, at that time, I, f I had no other options because I'd just done this BTEC and I thought, well, I'm never going to get to do a classical music thing. I've only had real two years of formal music education. So I got accepted in clearing through this jazz degree and uh, off I went from there really but at the same time started buying a lot of funk records and I always liked jazz but my jazz was very different to the, the real staple jazz from the course but my, my jazz at that time was the way I interpreted it was like you know James Brown Cordroy, early JTQ, that kind of stuff. More so was this around stuff. the time of the sort of acid jazz it explosion was, yeah, and stuff? Yeah. Okay. So that's what I really knew. So was you I going to Blue Note at this point? Or? No, no. For me, it wasn't. there wasn't really much clubs going on when I was at that age. Um, I didn't really go out much clubbing to some of those acid jazz places. The, the main place we'd go to was this Happiness Stands in Clerkenwell. Yeah. Um, was Bar Rumba going then? Bar Rumba was going then. Yeah, we'd go yeah. there occasionally. That was kind of quite Latin-y sometimes. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the few times I went, it yeah. was too Latin-y for me. But like Dean Rudland, the people were there, yeah. and a lot of those old faces. Um, but now, then I started to learn more about, I guess, the different idioms of jazz and the traditional stuff and really getting into like hard bop and the more complex stuff of it. But still being really interested in hip-hop and house music and even band music as well. And still growing my reservoir. So how do you go from from studying jazz to... To, to 
Maybe <laughs> Step two. Well, well, so I finished that degree, and then I was a, so I was a, then I'd done a, uh, a postgraduate secondary teacher training. So I was a music teacher. So at that point, I knew I wanted to make a living out of being a musician. And, and generally, making a living out of being a musician, you have to teach as well. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll do a three-day week, which will pay pay the bills. And that enables me to have then four days a week for practicing, sessions, getting in bands, doing all that stuff. Because I wanted to be almost a corporate musician as well. So playing different function bands and have more creative individual bands. So, so I guess for, for people that haven't been in bands or uh, are unaware of how it works, if you're in an unsigned band, money's just not really there, is it? No, no. There's no if you there. play at a wedding in yeah, a covers yeah, band, yeah, chances yeah. are yeah. you might You'll get paid. walk out there with 100 quid in your yeah. pocket. Yeah, you still know. standard rate. Yeah. And so for me, I'm thinking practically, thinking, okay, so, um, you know, what early, mid-20s now, thinking I, I, I want to be, in, and I can do all the band stuff as well, because if my wedding gigs are, say, you know, Friday night, so it means I've got all the week still, mm. so I can be playing and getting better. So that was the goal. So I've done that for a few years, done loads of different bands. Some were, you know, small deals, a few sign-ins. Um, and I've, I always had a leg injury because I used to do kickboxing. And at one point during a class, I'd done a like a round-ass kick and twisted my kneecap. So I had a really bad knee. And realised through going to see a physio that I would never have the level of control I wanted in my kick drum. So at this point, what was I, 29, 30 I started putting more time into the vibraphone, so more melodic and piano, thinking, okay, I'm never going to get as good as I want to be on the drums, so I want to kind of just put some energy into something else. And literally from making that decision overnight, I've got a phone call saying, do you want to join this band? Um, a friend of mine was a guitar player in the band, and I knew the band. We'd tour with the band, support bands with them. Um, yeah, he said, do you want to join Baby Shambles? He says, you know, um, drummer's not into it anymore. <clears throat> There's been a lot of problems. We've got Brixton Academy next week. Do you want to join? So I didn't sleep that night thinking, shit, this is a big commitment. If I join that band, I've got to stop everything. All these small um, ventures I've got going, <clears throat> small session deals I have with, with different studios, covers bands, and other original bands as well. I thought, right, everything stops because I know the commitment to this. So I just chose to do it. And, and, and the commitment to that is, uh, was you aware, obviously you knew all about the Libertines by, yeah, yeah, by yeah. this point, and, yeah. and so you was aware that, w w was Peter sort of, tabloid he was at yeah. this point yeah not as big i think yeah because overnight it became huge yeah um but I, my band were called the white sports so we supported baby shambles for like two years so we was up and down when he had a leg out of libertines yeah i was seeing the hype you know we'd turn up someone like shropshire and it would be like pandemonium now, i can't even describe the amount of excitement at that time because people would book you like because the band scene weren't quite as as developed as it got You'd be booked in some like little side pub, some little kind of uh, maverick indie promoter would put you on, and the pub would be destroyed. It'd be like a swarm of locusts in there. It'd all kick off, and I've never seen. It's like Beatlemania for those that first year of, you know, when the enemy. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He really got on top of it and he kicked off. So 2004, 5, 6. We died down a bit after that. But those two years, crazy. But we were supporting the band. So we'd be, you know, we'd be on tour with them, and our manager was his manager. So we hung out with him a lot. So we'd always be in the same travel lodges. So it was kind of part of the same group. Um, so I, I saw how crazy it was. So I knew it. So was that a concern when you thought, right, I'm going to make the jump? And, and it was a bit, yeah, because I thought I've just slowly kind of sorted myself out. Because I've, I've probably known you maybe six, seven, eight years now, and you're quite a level-headed, <laughs> you know, smart guy. <laughs> On the guy, surface, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I think there's always a part of me that loves that mayhem and that chaos. Yeah. Um, I mean, you joined the right band. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a part of it that was really, yeah. you know, growing up, you know, as I said, the excitement and stuff from just hanging out. Mm. And when I say hanging out, I probably was hanging out probably more so than even my mates. I'd mm. be the one that would go go home latest. Um, it wouldn't go to school. So there's always that this real, I think innately in me, there's this desire for excitement and stimulation. Um, and, you know, that can get us into all sorts of trouble, I guess, as we grow up and we start to seek that high adrenaline stuff. So there was a part of me that was so attracted to that life and so threw myself into for, that. For what? What did you want from it? I just love the stimulation. You know, I love the buzz of it, the chaos, the fear, the craziness. For me, it was just like it ticked. It, it's, there's a part of my brain that is really attracted to that level of chaos. Um, so there was that part of it, was really attracted to it. And, you know, I'm thinking, wow, career-wise or whatever, this will be great. I can make it. And it's always a, a dream to try and make it. I think. Of course. I always, I never expected I would, but it's always there. And mm. probably as I was getting closer to 30, realising, okay, well, I don't need to make it in terms of being on magazines, but what I can make it, I can make it so that I'm earning enough money in two, three days. I've got four days you know, at that point, actually, I was working probably a day and a half, paying yeah. the bills, which was great. I had five days to practice or to go and do music I wanted to do. So I'd kind of made it in a way. I'd, I'd made it. I, I was enjoying my life and I was developing my musicianship. Um, and then making it on that level, you know, magazines and stuff and being in the press, getting really well paid for it, seeing the world. And that was suddenly, bam, this is amazing. And it was great. And so I, I, I won't go into some of the madness that happened because <laughs> it, I, I should say that you've done the hardcore listing podcast with, yeah, with, yeah, with yeah. me and Chris and we spoke about the recording of the second album in the Brecon Beacons yeah, was it yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and just some of the, the stories that, that unfolded there so go over there if you want to hear um, some of the, the, the madness that did, that did happen there but what I want to um, pick up on here Ad is like when literally the madness just fucking exploded and it, and it all yeah, kind yeah. of petered out and went too wonky yeah like where did that leave you i was just spinning i think i've been going so fast i think anyone that's been moving so fast and suddenly it stops you can't just stop 
you know, you need to kind of gradually come down. And for me, it's like it suddenly stopped. Um, you know, I had my first child. I had mortgage. I had all this um, kind of grown-up stuff to take care of. And there was a tour on the horizon, which I had expected to go on. Um, so it stopped. And suddenly, so you, 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 we're, we no longer want to work with you or the bass player. Or I no longer want to work. So it was just, it was, for me, it was crazy. I didn't really understand it. And that kind of stuff maybe had happened before, but it always blown over. It was just some kind of psychosis type thing. And this one, I, I don't really know how it ended up being so, um, I guess, compartmentalised or just kind of fractured. I think the management at the time probably took that and just kind of ran with it. Yeah. Was times in the past, it would have been this, like, like all relationships, we hate each other, da-da-da-da. Mm -hmm. And then the day after, it's all all right. But I think because of the structure of the management at the time, I think because he had one leg out doing solo stuff, maybe it was seen as, uh, as advantageous for, sure. for certain you know, parts of that business. Um, so it just stopped. And I'm thinking, wow, now what do I do? Um, well, I didn't think that. I didn't have the kind of clarity to think that. But literally, the kind of the phone stops ringing. All these people that I'd been, that I'd had in a, in a community, there's a few people, you know, I think there was probably Stephen Street and, and a friend of mine, Rob, that had really reached out and said, you're right. And I said, I don't even know what's happened, being all right. And uh, speaking to Graham about it, it was Graham Coxon as well. I think the three people that I spoke to out of this whole network and, you know, those three people I've only really known for two or three years of that journey. There's a lot more, um, a lot more of, of a, a bigger steeped community that just almost, it's like I didn't exist. And that was painful. It was really like, wow. So one minute I'm an integral part of this, all these relationships. The next minute I'm kind of surplus to requirements. And I think that was really painful as well. Um, so trying to unpick that stuff and then subsequently going to therapy myself, it was really helpful to unpick that stuff, see how my own narrative had contributed to it. It was really, really a helpful thing to do. When you said you went to therapy, was that something that you sourced yourself? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this lead, this is going to lead on to w what you're currently doing now. Yeah, because yeah. Because it, it seems to me there isn't an infrastructure in the music industry for no. when people get... You know, even from like these X Factor contestants know, yeah, that get yeah. told they've signed a million pound record deals and yeah, the yeah. first single doesn't do anything, and then and you're off, you're gone. Yeah, yeah. And you know that's you're not prepared for that. No, no, and no. I was older as well, and yeah. I and I had a bit of a career under my belt. Yeah, and I had music. I think some of these people, especially if you're renowned for your, for being famous, well, yeah. what have you got? Yeah, I knew I could go home and at the end of the day I can play a guitar, I play a drum, and get and that's my meaning yeah. in a way. Which I had to rediscover, but, but you're right. I do think to, 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 to people that you know haven't got a huge insight into the music industry or or have been in the music industry, I think they just think, oh, well, he's in a band with Pete Docker. He must be a millionaire, yeah. and like he's on the X Factor. He must be like yeah, a millionaire yeah, living yeah. in this massive but house. That's what and they want like, to sell because that's yeah. the allure, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what we all probably bought into as teenagers, yeah. looking at of these course. bands. You know, you had a band career, and you look into it, and a lot yeah. of it is, yeah, you love the music, but we're going to make it, we're going to do this, but yeah. we are quite blind. Yeah, but I've been working, doing some stuff with Warner recently, and and we're we're looking at giving bands transparent info packs initially this is what it means this is what it means in terms of numbers and this is when you may be in danger of being dropped and that's very real so i think that's the first port of call informing people and we're trying to implement a strategy now of duty of care so i'm very actively involved in the um i guess working with some of these uh, labels and somewhere along the line someone's gonna have to stick the neck out as, as a counselor as a well, what, no, what, what, what uh, would you say uh, your role is consultant or maybe maybe that as well as, as yeah. a therapist with them 
to actually sit and be like the, the interim between A&R and HR. Because at the moment, HR doesn't cover bands. You're freelance. And, and I guess the, the, record, the recording industry is probably more ruthless now than it's ever been in regards to longevity for yeah, artists. Yeah. If you don't shift units now, yeah. you, you're not getting that second album. Yeah. That's how it seems to me. That's, that's, how, like, it is. Yeah, yeah. that's how it is. And it does sound really brutal, but the other side of it is it is a business. Yeah. You know, and I think it's very easy, again, to point the finger at the industry. And I did when I come through that, you know, the bad guy was the industry. And I'm thinking, yes, effectively, there needs to be a holding but I was a freelancer and I really was a product. And I don't mean that in any demeaning way. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was, and you are. And I think there needs to be kind of some very honest language in that. You are a human being, but you are, we are employing you. We're mm -hmm. going to give you 50 grand because we need to make money back, not because we love your music. Those days are long gone. Mm. You know, you need to earn that, those bucks back. And I think if you approach it from a much more pragmatic perspective, I think it's, it's more real because you yeah. can make the music you love and be the artist you want to be from your bedroom in Camden. That's cool. But if you want an investor, by the very nature of that investor, they're going to want an investment back. And, you know, sometimes I get criticised from that viewpoint. But I think that's honest talking, because if not, we all kind of we're not we're not saying what's in the room. It's the music business, isn't it? That's it. You know, and then we're going with choices. We're going with agency, knowing, OK, yeah. so what will I do if it doesn't? And we know we live in this kind of positive psychology kind of TED talk culture where if we think positive, we'll get our results. And, and that's good in some situations. But nine times out of ten it's not yeah. not wanting to be cynical but we have to be realistic mm. so yeah I'm kind of working actively on that stuff at the minute which has been really it's been great take up on it I, I'm not surprised mm. it, 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 it strikes me that that's something that you know in, in I guess like some of the more high profile cases of, of, of people that have just spiralled in the industry whether it be Andy Winehouse yeah, or yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, oh god uh, Scottish band uh, yeah yeah uh, Front Rabbit Front Rabbit of course yeah, yeah. yeah. like you know and, and, it, and it appears that you know the industry needs to you know look at their well being you know and if they're being pushed through pushed and pulled through tours and things like that mm. it's like sometimes you know as you say I mean at Baby Shambles you must have toured relentlessly and we played did, lots yeah, of things yeah, and, yeah. and and there's obviously ridiculous amounts of temptations for all manner of things. Yeah, like yeah, on the road, it's like no man's land. But the other side of that is, you know, and again, it's really difficult because I, it's easy to say, you know, we're, we're pushed and pulled through tours, but I think we, we, most people, from, from what I know now, they, the, the choice is given, but mm. someone said, no, I want to go on tour because they feel happier on tour. Mm. So it's a, a double-edged sword. I know in our experience, if we didn't organise a tour, um, he would go off and do stuff anyway. It's almost like better try to yeah. make a cohesive sense of safety within that framework. And to an extent, the same with Amy stuff as well, mm. from being around that. You know, I hear a lot of a lot of fingers being pointed. And, and maybe there was to a certain degree, I don't know. But I know that she wanted to do some of those dates as mm. well. And from, from being around her and, and hearing, obviously, I don't know the full story, but I don't think it was it is as black and white as sure. they are to blame for pushing her into those gigs. Yeah. And there's always a few different energies within that, I think. The media have got a point of something, haven't they? Yeah, right. yeah, and it's too easy, you know. Mm. You know, I think it's too. It's more complex than that. Mm. Um, and of course, everybody brings their own wounds into the industry. Then you start arguing: Well, do people that are slightly wounded use music to help themselves, or you know, chicken or egg type stuff? Um, but I guess a whole other argument, you know, creative genius stuff. We'll never know, I guess. Mm. Well, one of the other things that I guess become a, a, a big priority for you post. 
Baby Shambles was working on your own music. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, when I've asked for track six, a, a favourite song from an artist from your home county. Flex my muscles. Put yourself forward, mate. Yeah, why not? Why not? You know, get in there. <laughs> and I was just thinking, and I thought, you know, I don't know any way. I was going to say like the Baron Knights because they're from Luton. And I thought, oh, no, that's right. pretty, quite risky. That's the only, the only kind of artist I could yeah. think that was so from. So was John Otway from? He was from Owlsbury, which is, right. you know, he's in Buckinghamshire. But, yeah. you know, it wasn't that an intensely cultured place regarding music. I yeah. think Milton Keynes or Buckinghamshire generally. Yeah. So you, you look and you can't find hardly any. Yeah. Um, you know, Northampton would have been all right if I would have come further south. Bedfordshire would have been all right. Um, so, yeah, I thought I'd just choose myself. Do it. <laughs> what track? Uh, it was, was it Follow Me to Work? It was, yeah. Just because it's got, you know, for this track, I was recording this uh, just as the Baby Shambles Fallout was happening and it's got horns, you know, I'd done a horn arrangement and it's quite a quirky, jazzy tune, really. I, I could hear the kinks in it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so do you think Milton Keynes has affected you as a person and as a, and a, and as a creative? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely quite a, a cynicism to Milton Keynes for me because I just felt culturally void there. I felt there was nothing happening for me. So we'd go into London. It's lucky because we're on the London line. I'm going to London a lot. Um, and I think moving to Essex was really good, really helpful because it gave me some some clarity. I think you only really know your area when you move away from it. And then I'd go back, you know, go back during the summers and stuff like that and see that it was quite sterile. I think most of the time we'd be out, we'd be in your local kind of, yeah, whatever they were, like your Eroses and your clubs like yeah. that, which was pretty mainstream. And I saw a lot of my friends kind of gravitating towards that and that was their thing. I thought, what about, what about the alternative culture? What about... Yeah. Before the internet, we could access that stuff, I sure. guess. And I would live my life through Melody Maker and Enemy as well. Um, and those bands would rarely come through. Northampton or London was where I would yeah. go. So, do you, have you still got family in Milton Keynes? Yeah, some. So, when you go and visit them mm. and you drive into Milton Keynes, do you? Because I, I get it, and I, I'm not particularly proud of where I'm from. It just happens to be where I was yeah, born. Yeah. I've lived in Essex all my life, and, and I, I certainly don't particularly think it's anything exciting or, or, or wonderful. But if I've been away mm. and I come back and I see that sign that says, Welcome to Essex, yeah, yeah. I feel quite happy to be home. Yeah, yeah. Do you get that from Milton Keynes? It's weird because I don't. It's not because I've been away from it for so long. Mm. You know, I left when I was 19. <coughs> and um, because being a musician as well, it didn't feel that there was much there for me. So I always knew that maybe in 40 years or something when it develops, but... No, I don't, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I'll always quite be enamoured by, I guess, Bletchley and Milton Keynes, just because that's where I grew up. And now with the Bletchley Park stuff, it's got a, you know, it's it's got more of a warmth to it. But yeah. no, I, I don't feel anything. And because Milton Keynes is so changeable, every time I go back, something's changed. And, and you know, the estate where I grew up, I think they're on the verge of knocking that down. And where all the cultural hub was, that's now moved. Every three years, is a new kind of hyped area. There's no real continuity there there's mm. no real sense of something gets put in the, in in the, the fabric of the the buildings you've got a big bowl in the middle of it though haven't you it's got a big bowl but i think that's being stopped being used i mean that, oh, was, really? that was good yeah they're not using that anymore i think but i saw um rem and blur there i oh, was at that, that gig yeah. first time i ever played country Brilliant. house no was it mm. wow. and who else was on that bill belly, belly. <laughs> and magnapop magnapop wow they opened and then it was belly yeah yeah, that was hot as well that yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, it was two days they'd done there, didn't they? Yeah, and yeah. I was I was there in 88, 
for Erasure. Right. Played the wild party there with Adamski. Wow. Who I'm interviewing next week. Uh, who, when he walked out, he had this yellow hair and he started killer. <laughs> and he walked out and he went, hello, Legoland. We're in Milton Keynes. This is great. But uh, from, from Belly, was it Tanya? Tonya? Tanya Ta- Donnelly. She came, but she came out and she said something like, this amazing, very American, this amazing place, this utopia. Which, <laughs> so what does utopia mean? She said, oh, it's this place. And I feel, she said, where she is? We're a bit like, what? <laughs> this, you, and I, I always remember the word utopia because she came out and said, oh my God, man, it's amazing Brilliant. utopia. I'm thinking, really? She's obviously not been to the Lakes Estate. <laughs> it was one of those kind of crazy moments. Um, I always remember that. Yeah, I remember that really well. But Brilliant. you know, that was in that would have been ninety five. Yeah, think. It was. So that was the hub of Britpop just come stuff. Out. You know, yeah. it's like whoa, this is huge and Blur were just mm. on their big ride. So that would have been country house time for them, wouldn't it? Mm. No, it was. It was the first time they'd ever played country house right. live. Yeah, so that would have been Great Escape time. Mm. Yeah, just, just pre life. right. Great Escape. Yeah, so the, the the madness of park life was in full effect. And so that would have been the summer of Oasis versus Blur then. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and then of course Oasis were playing the bowl in 2006, yep. seven, and we were supporting. So we were all on the bus. I'm going to Milton Kings. I'm going to be my kind of returning war hero. It's going to be amazing. We pull up to the bowl. I'm like just feeling legendary because all my mates are going to be here. I'm playing the You're bowl. You're back in Utopia. It's going to be, I'm, I'm, you know, I couldn't <laughs> feel better. And of course, we get a phone call. Uh, Pete didn't want to wake up. Kate couldn't wake him up, so she's left him over. She's left him sleeping. So I'm on the phone to Kate saying, look, you've got to wake him up. Oh, no, he's just, he's really tired. <gasps> no, 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 I'm just about to, this is my moment. She wouldn't wake him up. Well, she couldn't wake him up. Something happened, and it all got messy. Liam said, tell, told us to, obviously, on our bike, and they're never, we're never going to play them again. But that would have been such a great moment for me oh, and for Baby Shambles. Because we would have been, we would have been ingratiated into all of that community. And that was it. And then from then, the kind of the spate, it kind of widened. And uh, I always remember that. I think, what could have been, you know? Oh, that's hard. It would have been my mate. moment. I know. I was like, oh, for something like that, he didn't want to get up. I'm thinking, oh, yeah. But just you know, get out of fucking bed. <laughs> for the Milton Keynes Bowl, you know. Jesus, that's someone that's in a situation, isn't it? If you can't get out of bed for yeah, that, yeah, yeah. then uh, yeah. what are you going to get out of bed for? Yeah. Wow. You can play DJ now, Ed. <laughs> the song that many may not know that you would like them to hear, so you can oh. turn them on to something new. Well, this is a tune, um, who knows where the time goes. Sandy Denny done it originally in a really stripped down folk version. And then... Um, who, uh, sorry, who did? Sandy Denny. Okay. Um, she also done it with Fairport Convention as well after, which is a great version. Then I heard Kate Rusby doing it. And Kate Rusby is, I guess, like, Smiley folk singer, modern, but she's got an amazing voice. One of those voices voice. that just just penetrates. It's like having the the best meal you could ever have. Mm. And then I heard her version of it. It's not it's not on any of her albums. I don't know where it is, but I, I found it and someone recorded it for me. But it's just the best version of this song. Um, it's just something about her voice and the way she just projects this song. Um, yeah, it sends like a shiver down my spine. So it's uh, it's an unknown gem, maybe. Well, I'll put some other music by her on the Spotify playlist because this track isn't on there. No, it's um, not. But some of her other albums are, so I'll um, I'll cherry pick a few off of there. Um, but her voice is magical, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's happening now, Rad? Um, so I'm a psychotherapist now. Mm-hmm. Also a musician still. Mm-hmm. I kind of straddle both the grounds. I see clients 
that are in the music industry and clients that aren't as well. I also work in an addiction setting. Um, so I'm doing both of that and I'm about to start. You work in addiction? In, I work in an addiction clinic as well. So okay. I spend time in private practice running a company called Music and Mind, which is my um, addictions and I guess psychological distress um, works around that kind of stuff from people in the music industry, whether that be crew or musicians in the industry or musicians that aren't in the industry. I also see clients outside of the industry that struggle with addictions and other things that we all kind of have. Um, and also, I'm still releasing music. So doing that, I'm about to start my next part or my last part now, which is my doctorate, which will be in how we use music to... Let me not get too technical. How we use music to become more in touch with some of the traumas we may have had growing up. When we have traumas, in a nutshell, we can cut off, we can dissociate, we can kind of bury them. Mm-hmm. So by using music in therapy sessions, not not playing it, but recorded music, certain tracks, we can kind of get in touch with some of those moments that we might not want to get in touch with and use that in a therapeutic setting. That will be my doctorate. Because, you know, even just talking about all these tracks today, some of them have joy, some of them have sadness. But, you know, we've all put a song on and we feel really sad by it. And we may have kind of blocked out some of those memories. Um and through how I've used music myself, that will be the impetus for my doctorate dissertation. Whilst I still become more of a, you know, a reputable musician myself. So you, uh, uh, do you add, if you feel low, mm. do you listen to low music? Um, I play, I play music. For me, actually just playing stuff, not necessarily any particular tracks um, so players in your sit behind a yeah, drum yeah, kit or, or your sit or, a piano. Yeah, more more guitar piano right. thing. Because for me it's melody, I think with something physical like drums. I can't if I feel down, drums don't really do it because it hasn't got that melody. Sure. If I'm feeling more vibrant and energized, drums are great. But I always miss that being a drum, I always miss that 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 real emotional content that melody and harmony can bring. So I'll play songs and there's there's no real particular songs that I might play. I, I've got a leaning towards Nick Drake when I'm feeling quite Blue, I guess, as it were. Or Joni Mitchell Blue is a great album when you're feeling blue. Um, there are certain songs that almost help to process it. Do you know what I mean? Like resonates with it. It's like being a therapist. You know, the goal isn't to get sit with someone and say, oh, yeah, don't worry about that. It's about, well, let's like, sit in this together and we'll go through it. You know, Nick, and Nick we'll Drake's mine. You know, Nick Drake's great for that. Um, yeah, Nick Drake. Oh, it's like certain other songs. There are definitely songs that have flavours that resonate with my mood. Mm. Yeah. So... So, yeah, but depending where I'm at, some different songs can have different f- effects as well, I think. Kind of quite transitional. So it depends. But I think people, most people will have certain songs which can evoke or which remind them of certain something. So, um, I mean, it's very much tied into with a lot of this, I guess, music psychology stuff where people with dementia and Alzheimer's that have got these degenerative diseases that are using music to try to you know, either evoke oh, really? a response. I guess it's a similar kind of thing because you're, you're tapping into some unconscious part of the brain which has been kind of cut off through it, something being too much. And we're trying to help you process that in a space where we can use music as well. It's almost like a bridge. I mean, that's that's the premise. It may come yeah. to nothing, but that's because I know from a personal perspective how I've used it myself. There must be something in it. It's experiential. Yeah. And the more people I speak to, Everyone, you know, kind of uses me to an extent. Of course. So that's going to be the the, the doctorate, yeah. That's Wonderful. Yeah, it's good fun. Well, best of luck with it, Ed.
Brilliant. And thank you so much for doing this. No, thanks for having me again. Cheers, mate. There you have it. That was Off The Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Adam Fireset. He's a lovely lad, isn't he? See, I knew you'd like that one. Um, he's, he's, it's always a pleasure to spend some time with Adam. Um, I've been lucky to have DJed with him and, and, and hung out with him lots. And he's, he's been on the Hardcore Listing podcast as well, as I mentioned in this episode. Um, so, yeah, I think that's me done for this week. Um, I'll be back next week. In the meantime, please go and check out some of the other podcasts on the Distraction Pieces Network. And if you want some further recommendations, then go and check out the new Pod Bible podcast because it's ace. And it tells you all about all the podcasts that are out there to be enjoyed. Have a smashing week and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast. And it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.